A podcast of the cinema, hosted by me, Alonzo Duraldi, and you, Dave White. We are film critics. We both write for The Wrap. I co-host some other podcasts, and you and I are a married couple, and that's all anyone needs to know in case this is their first episode, because you never know when it's going to be somebody's first episode. What day is it? <laughs> it's Friday, April 22nd. What's we are, happening? We are late, late, late. Where are we? <laughs> I feel like I woke up yesterday and it was last Friday. <laughs> and then I woke up today and now it's this Friday. Mm. And I know I didn't sleep the whole time. No. I just feel like I haven't had a time to take a nice deep breath. Well, it's and, been it's been busy and we got second boosters and that always makes you a little tuckered, you know. Well, <laughs> no, that's not even at all what I'm talking about. Okay. Just, this is like so many weird upheavals and obstacles this week. Go, go, go. Do Have now. Have we ever, not counting the day, not counting the weeks where we, we've been like, okay, we're out of town or something, you know, awful is happening and we can't record. Like, have we ever just like randomly not had a spare minute to record a show until the Friday of the week that it should have dropped. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I know we've had we've had technical difficulties, certainly, that have impeded us from doing our job. This has just been life. I just feel like like I, I like I already know like I have to I have other uh I have a whole thing to write this <laughs> when we're done with this today. Um yeah. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to our life. Um, this episode, yes. In addition to being here's here, you know what's weird about this episode? It is super late, and also it kind of doesn't matter in terms of film releases. True, because these are almost all catch-ups. No, anyway. they are all catch-up films. Not dual. Are they not? I'm going to talk oh, about dual, 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 dual. dual. A, a film I don't still don't even understand. It's you don't, like you're not missing much. It's okay. Would you like to dive right in to to duel? Sure, Do I guess. Do you have any business to to, to tend to? Uh, the, the, let me get the minutes out and the, the see if we need to need resolve to... old uh, old business. Are there? No, I don't think there is. Right? Uh, no. Like, this is a, duel is a movie that premiered at Sundance this year. And uh, it is the latest film from Riley Stearns, whose work I don't really know. Um, I know he did a film uh, called The Art of Self-Defense that, that uh, got some, some pretty good reviews, but I have not seen it. So this is my first time with, uh, with this gentleman's oeuvre. And uh, it stars Karen Gillan as a woman who seems to be kind of clinically depressed, I guess. She has... 
a terrible mother and a not great boyfriend and generally, you know, not thrilled about life in general. This movie is shot in Finland, not in a way to be set in Finland, but just as to be cold and, you know, kind of a lot of blank architecture. And, Do the characters and, live in Finland? No. 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 It's meant to be it's where? Just, anywhere? It, yeah, anywhere. Meant to be Any, anywhere. anywhere. sad, basically. Um, but so, I have read studies that say that people in Denmark and Finland are the happiest people. And they probably are. <laughs> I'm sure Riley Stearns went out of his way to find, like, the grimmest corners of Helsinki or whatever All to, right. like, you know, try and bum people out. Anyway. So uh, her character is diagnosed with a terminal illness. This is set in a society where if you are dying, you can get a clone uh, so that your friends and family will be, you know, less upset about your passing. Wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Well. Is it to trick them? No, no, no. Everybody knows that it's a clone. Everyone knows that the you, the you they love is dead. Yes. And they also know that this new clone is... They make a you uh, that looks just like you and that hangs out with you before you die to become more like you for the benefit of other people. Which, again, if she's got a crappy relationship with her mom and her boyfriend, I don't know why she cares <laughs> about leaving another her behind or why they would want her to. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> Why did you get a clone? We never liked you anyway. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, no. Another one. So it also turns out that if you are misdiagnosed and aren't going to die, you and your clone... Have... Or you, you get better. Exactly. I beat cancer. Yeah. And now I'm going to beat my clone. You and your clone have to battle to the death because... Oh, really? Can... They have to battle to the oh, death? Yes. There can oh, this be a, sounds like a good movie. Because there can be only <laughs> one of you. And I'm like, well, how are this many bad diagnoses going, or diagnoses going around? Because apparently this is a televised... So it's the Highlander game? It's a tele... <laughs> I got jokes. It's a televised <laughs> event, but if that's supposed to be like some satire thing, they don't really milk that at all. Right. Anyway, so she's got a year to train to, to, to beat her clone... She goes to Aaron Paul, who is like a guy who teaches you how to fight your clone to the death. And things happen. <laughs> I was not into this movie. It, it, Why? Because, again, I, don't, the, I think the, the character as established, it doesn't make sense that she would even bother to have the clone, much less be suddenly like driven to fight, you know, to, 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 to not die of the clone's hands. And she doesn't have friends, really? None that we meet, just the just the, the the awful mom and the bad boyfriend, both of whom wind up preferring the clone to her anyway. <laughs> it's like you, only without the parts that we've grown to hate. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, if there's a point to this film, if it's trying to be some kind of satire or commentary about things, I didn't I didn't get it. Why don't they? Make it so that the friends and family pick which one they like the best. <laughs> and the other one And the other one is dies. simply put down actually, yes. in a humane way. That seems like it would make more sense. <laughs> or, or the clone gets a new hairdo and moves to another city. Like the clone comes along and doesn't chew with its mouth open. <laughs> and, and you're like, oh, wow, this one's better. There should be some kind of escape clause beyond, like, seriously, just like, 
move somewhere else and change your name, you know, and live your life. I don't know. Anyway, this, this movie raises a lot more questions than it answers. I didn't think it was particularly interesting. It's fun to see Karen Gillan be kind of funny in a role because usually she's not, uh, or at least in the stuff that I've seen her in. Like, you know, she's she's always pretty serious in Gardens, Guardians of the Galaxy. All right. Uh, there's like this one... I honestly never remember what she does in Guardians of the Galaxy. She's Zoe Saldana's sister. Okay. Uh, there's a there's an out of nowhere dance sequence that she and Aaron Paul do that's kind of fun, but it's like it feels like a desperate attempt to keep this movie from being a complete slog. Mm. Um, yeah, it's I, I was not impressed. Well, you've ruined it for me. Sorry. <laughs> Here I was thinking, you know, battle to the death. You like a battle to the death. I love a battle to the death. I mean, not. As long as it's not me, you no, know. No, I want to live. Please, you get a paper cut. <laughs> uh, that's not true. Who? <laughs> oh, that's true. No, I forgot. You through. stab yourself in the hand, <laughs> and you're just whistling Dixie about it. So I got these kelp burgers, right? <laughs> He's not kidding. <laughs> I got these frozen kelp burgers, mm-hmm. you know, yum. Mm, yes. Everyone's mouths are watering at the very thought of them. Well, that's why I bought them because my mouth was watering. I like a nice seaweed based anything. Okay. All right. But here's the, the, the bad part about the kelp burgers. They are frozen and they come two to a pack. So you open the pack and you want one. Oh, like Pop-Tarts. Yeah, but not like Pop-Tarts because when you put two kelp burgers in a pack and then th- deep freeze them, they stick together. Oh, like ram a lam a lam a ding a ding a dong mm. <sighs> <laughs> Oh, my God. They stick together. <laughs> yes. And you have to separate them. Right. And so you, of course, have to cut your hand. So I held the two of them in my hand. <laughs> no, thinking no. Is, all right. This is just, worse than I thought. In my defense. <laughs> I thought you did this piercing the plastic packaging no, no. instead of getting kitchen scissors like a normal person. Oh, no, no. You did something even stupider. <laughs> Please tell us, tell the class what you did, Dr. Dummy. I took them out of the package, oh. took them out of the plastic wrap. But they were stuck together. So I was like, like, I I was so ready to get the frozen kelp burger into the hot pan. Mm-hmm. You cook them from frozen. Yes. That I just thought, I know what I'll do. I'll take a big knife and just pry them apart. I'll ease them apart. Won't that be... It'll be great. While holding them in your <laughs> hand, perhaps? While holding them in my hand. And so... And pointing the pointy part of the knife toward your toward, hand. Toward, toward, toward my hand. Oh, Dave White. Um, and so I, I did a little... There was a, a, a tiny... Oopsie. Punk, a tiny oopsie <laughs> puncture. Ow. Oh, no. You were bleeding. In my FU finger. Yeah. And... um, You were bleeding. Okay, your idea of what is bleeding and what is really bleeding are two different things. 
Okay, yes. This was now a thing where I had to drive you to the Remember hospital to get the stitches, day, which I have done. Remember the day when a glass broke while I was washing dishes and the shard lacerated my palm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you had to drive me to the emergency room because it was major. Yes. It was seriously, it was a big thing and it required stitches mm-hmm. and and honestly, it was my first time ever needing stitches and I was thrilled and fascinated and you of course you watched i watched yeah of course i watched yeah. um and the um okay yes this was less blood than that I so that was a lot of blood and this was just like boop beep boop little, little beep boop but this is a oh, no. this is a really long really pointy knife it, it was a, a big like knife. this is the knife that i use <laughs> yeah. to carve the thanksgiving turkey <laughs> That's the one you decided it was would the first be one I grabbed. the one I, to separate your bad. frozen kelp burgers pointed at your hand. <laughs> it all worked out in the end. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. We have hydrogen peroxide. Mm-hmm. We have rubbing alcohol. Mm-hmm. We have neosporin. Yes. We have a variety of Band-Aids. What would Cheryl Mendelson say to you? I. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna consult the book. Okay. Home comforts. And find out what she has to say about dressing wounds. Your total queen, I'm kitchen. sure, would not would not endorse this course of action. No, she would not endorse the course of action of haphazardly grabbing a knife to separate frozen kelp burgers. Yeah. I'm sure it's not covered in the book. Because she's taking it for granted that you that know not, not to do that. I, in general, <laughs> as a seasoned amateur uh, home, home cook, home, home cook. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm aware of kitchen safety, and I, I tend to be very cautious and safe in the kitchen. But there was, everyone has a moment where they're just not thinking much, and yeah. that was my well, moment. Do better. All right. <laughs> You're freaking me out. You're just squeamish about uh, yes. blood. Yes, I cop to that, but you're still freaking Oh, and me here's out. a preview for the next episode of Linoleum Knife. We watched The Northman. Yes. Uh, which we will talk about in the next episode. Yes. And that next episode will, which be, will not be a week from will now. Will not be a promise. week from now. I promise. Um, there is so much blood and guts in the Northman. Mm. Literal guts. And you were, uh, you were, you were brave, <laughs> and you watched it all. I don't. I didn't see you cover your eyes. You know when it when it's relevant to the story, I'm okay with. Well, me and the Kelpurkers got a little beep boop of blood, and it was relevant to the story. Well, yeah, real life blood is a whole nother thing. <laughs> this is why I, I disappointed my father and never became a doctor. I can't deal with it. You did not disappoint your father. He loves that you're a film critic. Sure. He read. He's been reading all your reviews from heaven. <laughs> I don't think that's true <laughs> in many different levels, but it's a nice thought. How comforting. Uh, we finally wa- we finally watched Moonfall. Ooh, did we ever. <laughs> yeah, everything else on this episode is stuff that y'all saw ages ago that were, that either both of us or Dave is just finally getting around to. Um, so here's, here's what, what's the deal about Moonfall. Whew. Um, you know what it's not? 
sequel to Skyfall. Okay, yeah, it's not that. What else? Is you know, it not? worse. Do you know what? It's not that's even worse than that. As fun as most Roland Emmerich movies are, it ain't no Geostorm. No, nor is it White House Down. Now we we all can agree, me, Alonzo, and everyone listening, that Geostorm is a perfect movie. <laughs> Stop it! Take my name out of your mouth right now. <laughs> I do not share your Jerry B fixation. My, my fixation on Geostorm is not strictly uh, about my garbage movie boyfriend, Gerard Butler. My commitment to Geostorm is, is pure <laughs> and based in a love of cinema. Moonfall, not as good... No, frankly. As Geostorm. And right. this is the kind of movie that you, like, you, you think, Who oh. Geostorm, anyway? Not Roland Emmerich. And you're thinking, like, oh, this is something of the Geostorm school, but yeah. by Roland Emmerich? Yes, please. Yeah. No, thank you. No, thank it turns you. out. Yeah. Okay, so Geostorm is uh, Dean Devlin. Ah, well, there you go. <laughs> Who studied at the feet of the master. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Patrick Wilson is an astronaut in space with Halle Berry. Yes. And who's the other astronaut guy in uh, space? We Somebody, do not we get don't to know, know him name. long enough to no. him to matter. So they're in space and Toto's song Africa uh, is playing and they're fixing something on the outside of their space shuttle, space rocket car. And the supercar. Yes, supercar. And um, immediately the moon begins to fall. No. And yes. No. The moon spits a bunch of stuff out at them. Right. Because it's falling. It causes a geostorm in a way. The the moon is falling and it spits out all the stuff. Uh, And And it attacks the ship. Yes. And... And they, this is just moments after they all come to an understanding of the lyrics to Toto's Africa. No, that, that doesn't happen until much later. You're forgetting this. Time ceases to have meaning. <laughs> when you have seen Moonfall. Uh, Third astronaut dies. Uh, Patrick Wilson heroically lands the space shuttle with no equipment. Uh, but then there's a, it's like Sully where suddenly there's a big, you know, tribunal and they decide that they're mad he lived. Exactly. (laughs) And so he gets canned from NASA. Uh, and he's, you know, trying to tell everybody, uh, look, uh, the moon spit stuff at us. The moon spit stuff at us. And there was like, you're a liar and you're just trying to, you've destroyed everything and, and you're not going to be an astronaut anymore. We sentence you to uh, Has been. doing nothing. Riding around on your motorcycle inside a soundstage oh. next to the world's worst green screen effects. In they, fact, this entire film, anytime anyone is supposed to be outside in any kind of natural setting, even just outside of a building or in a car or in their front yard, nothing is happening actually outside. The, Everyone is inside. All the time. The fortress at the core of the moon feels more realistic than the backyards of this movie. Yeah. Everything 
on earth looks so fake and so yeah like that white christmas thing of we're never leaving the sound stage yeah but you know what that old you know what the old timey uh inside outsides yes used to look like Gorgeous. You know why? Because they had beautiful matte paintings. Exactly. And no one ever believed that or, they were outside. Or fake trees or something. No one was ever trying to make you think that people were really outside. They were just sort of like, okay, they're in a soundstage and we can figure it out. Like yeah. we see. And, and Brigadoon. Yeah. And and people accepted it as part of the artifice and they were sure. happy. And now everyone they're trying to fake you out and make you think that people are outside. But your eyes are telling you, no, they're not. You're not outside. And it makes you angry in a way that the old-timey stuff does not. And they, yeah. This movie got released in IMAX. Can you imagine what it looked like in IMAX? We watched it on Blu-ray, mm. and we could see the green screen. Okay, so moon debris the size of cities is about to start raining down on the Earth. And as this starts to take place, months and days will shorten. And so the amount of time you think you have before the moon finally completely falls to the Earth uh, will shrink each day. So at the moment we have three months, but in a week it's going to be like uh, uh, six weeks. And then in another week it's going to be like three weeks. So like time is going to speed up and the moon is going to spit down uh, chunks of itself down onto the planet. And this results in uh, news uh, reports where the captions say things like moon terror, <laughs> looting, it turns out the reason the moon is falling out of its orbit is because it's not really a moon. It's not the moon. There are conspiracy theory people who call themselves megastructurists. Yes. And they are led by the dude from Game of Thrones who played Jennifer Lopez's manager in the Marry Me movie. I John Bradley. Okay, I still don't know his name. As not Josh Gad. I wonder about his character on Game of Thrones because I've now seen him in two films and both of these films, I find him insufferable. And I'm wondering if his character was meant to be also irritating on Game of Thrones. Anybody who watches Game of Thrones and knows the answer, please let us know. Not having watched Game, Game of Thrones, I can't say for sure, but I'm going to guess that he played a sort of, you know, Sheriff of Nottingham type. I guess. Anyway, so yeah, so he's running I'm around. I'm sure he's very nice in real life, but the characters he's playing are complete pains. Oh, yeah. Um, so the moon, it turns out, the conspiracy people are right. Yes. Um, it was built by ancient aliens. Ancient aliens have created a moon that is a megastructure that is filled with stars and gases or... Powered by a white dwarf. Whatever, yeah. And um, so it, it shoots out these moon tentacles... And kill some people, and then the closer it gets to the Earth, tsunamis start happening and flood basically the entire West Coast. Yeah, like the UN basically sends this multinational group of astronauts, and then once their shuttle gets too close, out come the moon tentacles, and they all die. And so then everybody's like, well, the heck with it. Let's go to Colorado. Yeah, that's where everyone has to go to Colorado. Uh, Why Halle, Colorado? Halle Berry. Where the Earth is going to be destroyed? I don't know. Halle Berry is trying to save everybody because yes. she's number one on the call sheet. And, and she is made the acting director of NASA when everybody else goes to Colorado. And she says fun stuff like, everything we thought we knew about the nature of the universe has gone out the window. <laughs> and she goes and meets Donald Sutherland, who's in a basement in a wheelchair, and he says, the moon is a lie. <laughs> Alien tech. 
and you need an electromagnetic pulse to take out the moon. So they build a big rocket ship real fast. No, 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 no. They no, don't build a big they, rocket they ship. They get a they shuttle take, out of the they museum. They take one out of a museum. <laughs> Why? And someone spray paints F the moon on the side <laughs> on the side of it. I'm not making that up. No, you're not. Um, and they leave it there. And so they want to electrocute the moon and then build a new moon that's heavier and that will make uh, Elon Musk is going to buy some gravity for it or oh, whatever. God. They name drop Elon Musk like they two or three They talk about times. Elon Musk so much. In this Almost movie. as many times as they name drop Lexus. And they movie. talk about it. They talk about him admiringly. And Lexus paid for it. They talk about Elon Musk admiringly. Oh, they're on his jock 24-7. It's like, could we please shut up about this idiot? All right, meanwhile, Patrick Wilson is being recruited back into it by Halle Berry because she realizes now that he was right all along. He's mad at her for not having spoken up more eloquently for him at right. his tribunal. Patrick Wilson also has a high-speed chase uh, teenager uh, who's in jail but breaks out to help them uh, do the space things and outdrive the gravity waves. And take Halle Berry's young son and his nanny to safety in yeah, Colorado. Uh, uh, so let me tell you about something about this, this, these characters, the, the son, the, the high speed space yes. uh, chase, the high speed chase teen and uh, Halle Berry's kid and Halle Berry's uh, exchange student au pair who takes care of the kid. There is an entire subplot about these three characters, none of whom really exist in any narrative sense. They no. just, show up and they have to run away from uh, uh avalanches and tsunami waves and moon terror they have to jump they have to be in cars that like jump over cliffs and land on uh uh land on pieces of mountain that are flying through the air and so they can get to the other side of the the mountain. To the bunker where Halle Berry's ex-husband is hiding out with like all of NORAD or whatever. Meanwhile the military's like I don't know what y'all think you're doing. We're going to gonna nuke, we're gonna the, nuke moon. the moon. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so they, uh, Halle Berry and uh, dude from Game of Thrones and Patrick Wilson, they go uh, in the ship to the moon. Even though the guy from Game of Thrones has no astronaut experience at all, they just slap a 1968 uh uh 1969 uh, astronaut suit on him yeah. and vroom off we go to the moon. Uh, they when they get there, they're like, "Oh man, we have to go inside the moon to you know dismantle the, the thing." And yeah, it turns out there's good aliens inside the moon as well as the bad aliens, mm -hmm. and, and the moon has like a a hole. <laughs> you guys, the moon has a butthole, and they have to fly inside of it. <laughs> Look, the Death Star had one. It know. turns out that the moon a has a butthole, and b is actually a gyroscope, <laughs> and this conspiracy guy's right about everything. And even though he's right about everything, Halle Berry and Patrick Wilson are still constantly dunking on him. Yes. <laughs> like he's some loon. Like, oh, sure, Louis Pasteur, or whatever with your penicillin. <laughs> no, but it works. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, turns out the, the aliens are like artificial intelligence. They're out to kill all the biological humans. The Skynet became sentient. And they win. They get it. They do the thing. They make the moon behave again. And they leave behind Game of Thrones guy in the moon because he's like, like sort of dead, but he sacrifices himself to... They to scan his consciousness 
and and he's a hologram now yeah. and he meets his dead mom inside the moon no it's the the and, moon forms the person that you're attached to based sure. on your brain waves to um, talk to you and he's like hey what are you doing here and, and she's like what are you doing here and he's like well they scanned my consciousness and here i am and she's like all right well get ready here we go end of movie like Oh, you, you, think you think there's, there's a sequel there's to a this? Sequel. In my mind, the thing she says that to him is, we have to repopulate. Oh, <laughs> stop. No, earlier in the movie, Patrick Wilson, who isn't dead, talks to the consciousness of the moon, and it's like, it's speed teen as an eight-year-old. Remember? Right. So, that, oh, so yeah. the moon just creates an avatar that's someone you're comfortable talking to. The way we described it, I think, just now is better than watching. We made it fast sound more fun than it is. <laughs> I assure you. But I wouldn't tell you not to watch it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have to pay anything for it, it's just there one night. Why not? Speed Teen, by the way, is played by Charlie Plummer from, from the great uh, Lean on from Pete. Lean on Pete, which is yeah. a great movie. And he, yeah. he's also, isn't he the kidnapped Getty kid in the uh, All the Money in the World? Oh, I don't know. I never saw that. I think he is. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't deal with watching that. Sudden Christopher Christopher Plummer. <laughs> Suddenly Christopher Plummer. Um so then also I finally got around to see an X because it became yes. available to stream. Have I talked about this on the show yet, or was I, I waiting for you to see it? Were you waiting for I me? I think I was waiting for you I to see it. I want to say you were waiting for me. Yeah. Um, you were waiting for. So this is the new film from Ty West. Why don't you explain? So, yeah, it's set in 1979, uh, and a group of Houston uh, strippers and would-be filmmakers troop out to the middle of the country uh, where they have rented. Uh, uh, there's a, there's a, a, farm, a farm that has, like, an extra house and a barn that they have rented for the weekend, not telling the farmer uh, that they are planning to shoot a porno movie called The Farmer's Daughters. Is it a porno? Or is it a 70s uh, kind of avant-garde adult uh, film? The, the producer says he's he's chasing the Debbie Does Dallas market. Yeah, but the filmmaker himself... Well... Has has the filmmaker? Know, it keeps telling himself that he's making that he's making an art film. But, yeah, you know, sure. To quote Neely O'Hara, <laughs> nudies, art films, <laughs> nudies. That's all they are, nudies. <laughs> um, so uh, so they 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 go out there. The farmer is very creepy and tells them, "Hey, by the way, do not bother my wife. She is very easily." Uh, upset and unsettled so just steer clear of her uh but we see this lady sort of looking out through the window and you know being very on top of what's going on <clears throat> so you have uh, a two uh the, the 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 female stars of the film are played by mia goth and Brittany snow and, and jenna ortega jenna ortega starts out as a pa yes and then later decides she too would like to be yes. on camera in the yes. film and uh is it kid Cootie or Cuddy? How do you say it? I've always called him Kid Cootie. Kid Cootie plays the the male lead. Someone of the film, tell me if I'm saying his name wrong. Who I'm, is a you know. uh, is a Marine and a Vietnam veteran, um, and uh, Martin Henderson is the uh, is the producer. He's Torque. 
Oh, that Martin Henderson. Who do you oh, think he was? I didn't think about. It. I just like I didn't recognize him. I see Martin Henderson. I say, He's hey, Torque. Torque, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Silly me. Anyway, um, it is not a it is not a spoiler to reveal that Mia Goth also plays Farmer's wife, and uh, as the as the big city folks, the longer they stay on the farm, the more uh, clearly in danger that they are. Um, so yeah, this is a movie that is, you know, it's very much, uh, you know, an homage to to kind of indie porn filmmaking. It's also an homage to slasher movies, which were just taking off as a as a genre in 1979 with the release of Halloween. Um, and it's you know it's a Ty West movie, so he makes you wait for it. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot. There's a very slow burn, and then when when things start popping off, off they pop. Um, I liked this a lot. Uh, yeah, I'm not same. I'm not a horror guy, but I, I had a lot of fun with this. I have, if I have an objection to it, and this is my one, it is that the movie. You know, and they, and I think maybe the reason that they, the the reason for casting Mia Goth as both the fresh-faced young, you know, I'm going to be a star, you know, porn actress, uh, and the old lady is that the old lady and her husband are kind of used as elements of horror, not necessarily based on anything they do, or not simply because of what they do. But, but but because um, they do some okay, horrific things. Okay, yes. <laughs> Not simply for their actions, but also for their age itself. Okay. The fact that ew, so old, so wrinkly, and then on top of that, so old, so wrinkly. Oh, and with an active libido still. Ew. And you know, I turn fifty-five next month. I feel like you um, know people that age should be allowed I'm to say something here. Get, say, finish what you're going to no, say. Yeah, you know, so that, that element of it to me kind of bothered me. I, I, I thought that they were using the notion of like wrinkles themselves as like, oh my God, that's so horrible. Blah, you know, and I, I don't know. It just, I, I, it, it rubbed me the wrong way. But that's the only thing in this movie that bothered me. <clears throat> All right. I'm a little surprised to hear you say this. Okay. Because that's the point. <laughs> How so? The point is that people are terrified of getting old. They think of themselves, they think of themselves in the future and they think, oh no, I'm going to be old and gross, and no one's gonna want my saggy, wrinkled everything anymore. The point of the film, I believe. My read of this movie is that the the horror is everything in your head about becoming old. Okay, but that's not... I, I hear what you're saying. To that end, those characters are made up, because neither of them are, is an actual elderly person. They are made up to be basically, basically walking necrotic flesh. <laughs> and... And you see it. Like, it's not just that they're old. It's that they're, like, covered in, like, sores and stuff, oh, too. Okay, that's... And so... But they are. They're, Were you not watching? They're, like, they're, they're not sores. Um, Come on, you're You need to it. look more carefully at the makeup job that was done. The, the by the way, masterf- masterfully gnarly makeup job. 
on these two actors, okay. Mia Goth and the guy whose name I'm blanking on. Be that as it may. The point of the film is that we suffer inside ourselves at the idea of aging and that the, 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 the reality of it, as any horny old person will tell you, is the opposite. The movie may, that might have been the intent. Okay. But the way the movie delivers it is to make is, audiences look at it and go, ew. I don't think so. I think it does. I think the younger you are, the more you will look at this film and, and react exactly that way. Uh-huh. Because when you are quite young, you look at anyone even five years older than you and think, you know, in my generation, <laughs> we see it a little differently. <laughs> I'm sorry if I just was a little too real for some of y'all out there right now, <laughs> but it's a fact. So I think that it's the kind of film that if you watch it when you're 17, you will look at the old people and go, ew. <laughs> if you are 30, 40, 50, 60, your, your ideas will be different and you'll be much more in tune with what the film is really saying. But see, no, I, uh, sorry. If the film is trying to say that, then I don't think it's doing it very well because the film is still staging it in a way that is clearly meant to repulse viewers. Well, yeah, because these two old people are homicidal maniacs. Okay, yes, but then <laughs> let them be homicidal maniacs and let that be the reason we're scared of them, not because, you know, they have not been using sunscreen. They <laughs> they have become the thing that they feared, and they are enacting that horror on everyone who comes near them. Okay, that is a that is a generous read that I that think... That is what I thought as I watched the film. All right, I... I <laughs> Did not read it that way. I didn't feel like I was being generous. I thought I was understanding what I saw. All, all of that interpretation makes absolute sense, but I don't think that Ty West completely succeeds at that because I think he's mainly turning the older characters into horrors before they've done anything. Well, they're, they're real wrinkly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, that's and life. So I, I, I think if, if there's a line between, like, commenting on the way that people see things and showing things in a way that, 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 you know, accommodates that point of view. I think the movie kind of steps too far in the wrong direction. Here's what we can agree on. It never murders anyone for being sexual. It never murders anyone for being in porn. The characters who are, who are being sexual in the film and who are making porn are fully realized characters. Yes. And the film treats them sympathetically. Yes. And although they wind up all, I mean, come on. It's it's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> and there's a final girl and you can figure out who it is. And the... And the, the movie is told in flashbacks. So you know, like yeah. in the first few seconds, that something has gone down. It uh, People do end up dead, but it's because the horror that has overtaken the people who run the house. Not because of anything that the people themselves did to deserve to be killed. One of the, one of the problems of 80s slasher films, the genre that, right. that birthed this, um, and obviously slasher films that took place before the 80s, is that 
in over over time as the genre solidified its tropes the virgin lives and everybody else gets yes. killed for not being and a virgin. so this is a sort of nice inversion of that definitely um i love britney snow britney snow in is fantastic <laughs> A revelation, like a, a side of her I've never seen, and not just the idea that like she's playing a, a porn actress, but just her sense of humor, yeah. her physicality, her uh, just she's so game to like say outrageous things, do outrageous things, yeah. and and create a really sympathetic character who also like has a breaking point and do not push her past it. Yeah, uh, that mm-hmm. I never would have guessed based simply on just seeing her in the the Pitch Perfect. I love the the sort of accurate seventies graininess of mm-hmm. it all. Oh yeah, um, its production design is is really spot on and beautiful. Um, there is, uh, you know, horniness in the film that is quite often missing from contemporary films it is it is set um, just where the sexual revolution is about to turn the corner into yeah. the first new york times article about aids 1979 and is when it's set if i'm going to complain about anything it's a it's a subplot about a television preacher that i know exists for a reason and i won't yeah, give that away it's heavy-handed but it is a little heavy-handed and i've seen it done before so i was kind of surprised at its inclusion here. Yeah, um, I thought there would be a better payoff just because it, it is such a familiar trope to do in a movie right, like this. Right, But um, overall, I just think this is really a cool film. And and I really, really strongly, vehemently disagree with you about the way it treats aging as, as a source of the horror. Because I believe it it, it is about the despair that takes over a person as they age. These two characters are clearly people who were in pain before this ever happened. I will look at it again at some point, and I'll keep your little opinions in mind and see if Thank maybe you. you have a point. But you I have a little pocket. <laughs> you can keep my little opinions, and they'll stay warm. <laughs> but I think it like a gummy bear. I think it doesn't. Yeah. If, if that was it, its intended, does not succeed because it it just tips far into the, the thing that it doesn't want to be. Um, an interesting thing about this movie, if you, it is now available for um, video on demand, uh, premium video on demand, I should say, given what we had to pay for you to watch it. Um, there it was yeah, 20 bucks at the end of the credits, 20 bucks in, <laughs> in the theater at the end of the credits, there was a trailer for a prequel called, called Pearl. Right. Which uh, is shot concurrently. Yes. Yeah. It is not, that trailer does not appear in the yeah. VOD version. But right. uh, anyway, so yeah, Mia Goth and Ty West have already made a Pearl prequel, which is coming, I don't know, this year, next year. But mm-hmm. that's out there in the world, and I'll be very curious to see it. It took a big, long stretch of time. Mm-hmm. I went to the Batman. I went to the Spider-Man. Yes. I went to the combination the Batman and the Spider-Man. <laughs> I don't know which film is which anymore. Well, there's only one Batman in The Batman, which is why it's called The Batman. Whereas there are several Spider-Mans in Did the Did somebody Twitter us about me 
watching these films. I can't remember now. Yes, I, I mentioned that you had watched Spider Man, and somebody thought that you would be was it dismissive. <laughs> yeah, or... that I would be dismissive of both of them, one of them, uh, both maybe of them? both of them. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> I like that I have a reputation for dismissing the superhero movies now. Everyone's standing in awe of me. <laughs> the power of dismissal. Which one do you want to talk about first? Oh, who cares? Same thing. <laughs> did, did you hear that? Did you hear me dismiss? So dismissed. I just dismissed. <laughs> I believe you enjoyed one more than the other. Uh, they both have their, their reasons to exist. Sure. Okay, so I finally watched. The oldest one... On the on the on the docket is Spider Man. Yes. No way home. Is no it way no home? Way? So there was wait. Spider Man Far From Home. Homecoming. Spider Man Homecoming. No, Homecoming wait. was first. Homecoming then far was from first. Home. Then Far From Home. And now No Way Home. Then No Way Home. So. And No Direction Home. Is there going to be another like one? Or is this stone. like a trilogy of the? I this was a hugely successful film, so I'm pretty positive there's going to be another one. With a home in the title. That I don't know. Hmm. Spider-Man Sp- come home Spider-Man home for the holidays <laughs> um, Okay so this is the one that has Is it a surprise that there are three spider Man? Not anymore it's not Okay It was on the Academy Awards <laughs> Oh you're right Um. So in this one Spider-Man is upset Because everyone knows who he is And everyone's mad at him because he killed Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, right? I think Jake Gyllenhaal was dying anyway, but he like made it look like it was Spider-Man's fault, and he like blasted his. But he was a villain. But yes. everyone, everyone thought he was a hero, but he was actually a villain. He pretended to be like a villain from an alternate dimension or something, but he was actually a disgruntled former Stark employee. Okay, so but then he dies, and everyone's mad at Spider-Man about it, even though yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal was a villain. Yes, and so. He gets the Spider-Man gets the opportunity um after after realizing that all these other villains from other Spider-Man worlds Okay, whoa, you're 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 jumping ahead. Well, okay, please remind me. Peter <laughs> doesn't get into MIT. That's right. Nor do Mary J controversy. Ned. That's exactly. right. That's right. So he goes to Doctor Strange and says, "Hey, could you maybe arrange it that nobody in the world knows that Peter Parker is, is Spider-Man? Right. And Doctor Strange is like, sure I can. And Wong is like, don't do it. And Sp- Doctor Strange is like, I got this. And so he starts this whole spell to make everybody forget. And then Peter's like, oh, wait, but could you also, could maybe MJ remember and my Aunt May and Happy and like this handful of other people. And he just makes it more complicated. It all gets messed up. And kablooey suddenly villains start showing up from the other two spider-man thank you thank you for reminding me sorry i saw this movie in december and you saw it this week (laughs) we already know what happens yes the minute i finish watching one of these movies flush it just goes um so here come all the villains from other spider-man universes and slowly uh, Peter Parker's like, hey, what's what gives? And then uh, they all know that 
that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, even though their Spider-Mans are different. They look at him and they're like, wait, you're not Spider-Man. And so that, you know, becomes an issue for Peter Parker. And then, so Ned uh, gets the ring that makes the... Yes, he, he turns out has some kind of magic power. The magic power and... and and manages to whoosh into existence. He opens the portals to, that brings in the Andrew, Andrew Garfield, Garfield and Tobey Maguire. And they all show up and they're like, hey, you're Spider-Man. Hey, me too. And then they meet teen Spider-Man and they're like, oh, baby Spider-Man. And then so they're all friends. The Tom Holland, Peter Parker's like, I was in the Avengers. And they're like, that's great. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> Um, cause they don't know anything about each other's worlds. Exactly. And so, um, they, they team up and they fight all the bad guys and then everything's good at the end. The end. Except Aunt May dies, Dave. <laughs> right. But. And she's not coming back. Someone always dies. Yeah. yeah mm, but this is a big one. Like Gwen died. Okay. And, but not to this Spider-Man. Uncle Ben died. Not to this Spider-Man. Right, but each Spider-Man has to lose the person who's most important to them. Exactly. Isn't that part of the... Do I know this thing about it, a Spider-Man? You do. You're yes. right. See? But, but see, that's why it's a big deal. Because this movie, I think for people who thought that the Tom Holland Spider-Man was too footloose and fancy free because he didn't have Uncle Ben dying and he didn't have all these things weighing down on him... Now, he has to make these huge sacrifices. A, Aunt May is dead. B, nobody knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Nobody knows who Peter Parker is. Right. So, MJ and Ned, his two closest people in the world, MJ, the girl he loves, have no idea who Who he is. And he has to accept that because that's what's going to keep the universe together. That's his sacrifice. Exactly. And it's... it's Moving, it is. Yeah, um, I have a I have a, a technical question. Shoot, John Favreau, yes, who worked worked for Tony Stark, Stark, yeah, and is still Spider Man's like handler keeper. Yeah, I, there's still a Spider Man. Yes, like Peter Parker is still Spider Man. Uh huh. So how does it work if no one knows that he's Spider Man? Doesn't John Favreau happy is his name? Happy, yes. Who does Happy think Spider Man is at this point now? I think he just thinks he's some guy because Spider Man could take his mask off in front of him and be like, "Who are you? I'm Peter Parker." Yeah, but they Who gave him that? the suit. Right. Stark gave him the suit. Happy watched it happen. Yes, but now he doesn't. He has no. Does Happy not remember anything about Stark? Either? No, he just doesn't. Peter Parker has ceased to exist. I'm. So... I am. Gonna go on film Twitter and set it and burn it down. <laughs> oh God! That's so. Happy, this is it. I'm happy, going on to film Twitter. Happy knows who Spider-Man Watch out, is. Everybody. Happy knows that Spider-Man's suit is Stark Tech, but he has no idea who the kid in the suit is because the kid in the suit is now literally nobody. Does that make sense? No. All right. That's all I got. It does not. That's all I got. I'm very sad to see Aunt May go because yes. Marissa Tomei. Is fantastic. She is in she's every always. single film that she's she ever is. been in. Um, and I I will say this: as much as I goofed on it on Academy Award night, mm-hmm. 
I'm so glad that the Academy gave an Oscar to that part where the three Spider-Mans <laughs> fly through the air together and land on a roof. So my question is, did Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland all get little mini Spider-Man Oscars? <laughs> first, of all, first of all, I heard the Academy handed out actual <laughs> Academy Awards for <laughs> scenes that made people stand up and cheer. First of all, they were only nominated. They lost to that. The Who can forget the breathtaking moment of the Flash enters the Speed Force. <laughs> also, the Flash enters the Speed Force did not win an Academy Award for that. It did just... Jennifer Hudson get another little <laughs> Academy Award? No. Because of her stand-up For being a nominee. Of... No. Yeah. No. No. Nobody got anything. I'm very Especially con- not the Academy. I'm very confused about the Academy Awards now. <laughs> I really should go on film Twitter now and just say anything. <laughs> By the way, speaking of film Twitter, um, I, I did my, I wrote my first clapback listicle this week, if, if y'all didn't <laughs> see right. it. That's right. You did. And what a good clapback it was. Thank because you. Because they deserved it. This website, whom I will not mention, uh, did a list of the 50 best rom-coms of all time and it turns out all time means not before 1971 and even only really only one in 1971 and everything else after 1980 so i wrote a list called well i called it 50 great rom-coms from before 1980 it got changed to 50 best which i'm not happy about because that's, yeah, that's when you're starting to fight yeah i know yeah, yeah yeah uh but anyway um to that, that list was an editorial wrap. decision that you had no control over. exactly yeah. but uh so yeah so that's on the wrap if you haven't read it yet please go i ahead. don't even blame the people who wrote the entries for that list on the other oh film. yeah no well, because, because one of them was like one of them went on twitter and said i would like to throw my website and my colleagues under the bus and tell you <laughs> That I my include, nominees included his girlfriend. My nominees included older films, and they editorially decided the bosses decided yeah. that everything would be after 1980 except for Harold and Maude. Yeah, and which I found absolutely hilarious. So I don't know who the editors are at that other website. Well, I know one of them is famous for not knowing that old movies are is, also Is that can, person can an be editor good. or did he was just a contributing writer? I, I don't know. He is a contributor to that list. I don't know if he's an editor. Yes. So anyway. Nonetheless. Uh, you wrote a really cool list. Thank you. Uh, and then of course, you know, people who wanted you to put Casablanca <laughs> on the list <laughs> were like, Romantic comedies, yeah. not well, dramas. As, as an editor at The Advocate years ago once told me, the reason lists exist is so people can say, I can't believe you included, <laughs> and I can't believe you left off. So, you know, mission accomplished. So then I watched The Batman, mm-hmm. and I am of two minds. Okay. Okay. I'll keep this brief, because honestly... Do you listen to this show to hear us talk about the Batman? I don't think you do. <laughs> Maybe not exclusively, but among other things, I think, yes, they do. I am the wrong age. Because my first exposure to Batman was weekday reruns Adam West. of a 1960s candy-colored nonsense show. Yes. Which was a lot of fun. And I've never really quite gotten on board with the grim, sad, serious Batman. Mm-hmm. I just, 
That's just me. Well, you also weren't on board with Batman and Robin, which is as close as we've gotten to goofy, candy-colored Batman in the movies. Yeah, but I, I was in a bad mood <laughs> that day. It was the 90s. <laughs> By rights, it's probably the best one. <laughs> and so... The Batman, only three minutes shorter than Drive My Car. That's right. Drive my back car. My Batmobile. <laughs> Drive my Batmobile. Drive my Batmobile. Um, I like... Here's what I like about this film. Because I love a noir. Mm. And this is super noir. Yeah. It takes place almost entirely at night or in the dark. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the Batman's and, thing. Yeah, but the... the, the the other films haven't necessarily uh, true. You know, we get to see Bruce Wayne, billionaire playboy, out at a, a, an elegant charity function or true, something. True, you know, true, true. Um, and there, there is no Bruce Wayne, billionaire playboy no. uh, in this film. There is Bruce Wayne, uh, billionaire hot topic shopper. Yeah, he Robert Pattinson is greasy. He's the guy liner Batman and upset and. We don't know what it is about him, really, that is so bummed out. He just is. This isn't a movie where we have to watch his parents die again. That is That's good. That's a plus. That is good. Uh, my favorite. This always reminds me of my favorite uh, Twitter post from uh, Seth Abramovich, who said the the killing of Batman's parents is the American nativity. <laughs> <laughs> the passion play. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's fine. I didn't need to see his parents murdered again. I, uh, I like that he's a detective who solves a, a crime. Yeah. I think I like the fact that the Riddler is basically Jigsaw. <laughs> Jigsaw plus like a Twitter troll or, a, or no, Zodiac, like, a, like a 4chan Zodiac troll. killer, you know. Um, and, and Paul Dano is, you know, mm. is really like frightening. Yes. This is a frightening Riddler. This is not, you know, uh, uh, Frank Gorshin and tights. <laughs> Frank Gorshin and tights. Or Jim Carrey and tights. Either. Right. Uh, no, no one, no one's happy. He's yeah. not, he's not, these aren't Dixie riddle cups riddles. Yeah. He doesn't, these giggle. are, <laughs> this is, this is horrifying, like doom yeah. for people. Having said that, the people that he's murdering, they all kind of deserve it. Well, so in that way, he's like Killmonger in, in uh, uh, Black Panther, where you see him doing the things and you think, well, he kind of has a point. <laughs> yeah, you I know? mean, and, and, and I think the point of the movie is for Batman to realize that there has to be a distinction between what Riddler does and what he does. Yes. Here's what I don't like. It is oppressive at its length because three hours of that mood is all right. If you sit down to watch Satan Tango, you know what you're in for. <laughs> am I right? The Turin right. Batman. Yeah. <laughs> you sit down to watch the Turin horse. You sit down to watch a Bela Tar film. You yeah. know where you're going. 
there is a level of of like misery that that needs occasional uh, release. Sure, and and it doesn't happen here. It is relentlessly miserable. Yeah, there's no like comedy relief. Certainly, <laughs> no, not at all. Any kind um, of levity. Yeah, no, true. I don't. I don't see it the same way I see films like uh, the Nolan uh, Batman films with mm-hmm. with 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 uh, Heath Ledger or Christian Bale or or uh, well Heath Ledger as as Joker. Yeah. I'm I'm going I'm leading specifically into the Joker situation. Oh, here. I see. Uh, nor do I see it in the same way that I see the the Joaquin Phoenix uh, Joker. Um, because those films seem to position the villain as like an almost exciting uh, presence, antidote to Batman. Ah, right. Okay. This doesn't position the villains uh, as that. They're grim. He's grim. They're grim. grim. Everyone's grim. You know. You may agree with the tact. You may agree with the the the, the reason sure. for Riddler doing his thing, but he's still a monster. Yeah. And he's still, you know, setting up, uh, uh, you know, a horrific mass shooting at, yeah. at, at one point in the film. Um, where, you know, and that is a, a imagery that I now associate with Batman films. Right, because of the Because Colorado. of actual, you know, real life incidents. And so... Um, I would have done that differently. Thank you. Food just got delivered. Yes. I would have done that differently. Mm. And here I am being the guy who talks about how he would have directed the film. <laughs> um, it, well, if you're, they had to know that people were going to make that comparison. Yes. When they went there. And so you better really make it, have some really strong reason to do it. Right. And there's a narrative reason for this to sure. this terrible thing to take place yeah um it's fine here's what i like in the end i think it's fine the film it's so the overall the film itself overall is fine and i appreciate them taking batman out of the realm of like uh you know bang bang pow pow vigilante into i'm a detective who also does like brutally commit violence against people right what what i liked the most mm-hmm. and i don't know if this struck you as much yes the movie recaptures how weird it has to be for a guy in that costume to show up somewhere like when when yeah. jim gordon shows up at a crime scene with that guy and the cops are like what is that guy doing here? Right. You get the feeling like, oh yes, right. We've been we've been seeing various iterations of Batman for decades, and we're just used to him showing up in that costume and then whooshing off and into whooshing the night. off and and, yeah. and and like mingling with the cops or you know doing his detective stuff or whatever. But like for him to literally show up at a crime scene, of course in everybody else costume. in that outfit, everybody else in the room is gonna be like. What's what's happened? what's Slim over here what? doing? What's this about? Why are we listening to this guy in the Halloween costume? Exactly. Yeah. 
So now, obviously, the Batman, like Moonfall, plans to have sequels. Okay. How do you feel about that? Not good. Really? Yeah. Um, but it, not because of this film's quality. Okay. Uh, just as I general. said, just as I just said, this film is fine. Yeah. Um, I don't have strong feelings about it, other than I think it looks really good. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, I kind of forgot about it. I, I kind of did a you like within yeah. a couple of days. I was sort of like, I saw that. What was the? I don't have strong thing? feelings about it. Zoe you know, Kravitz is kind of my favorite part. Yeah, she's good. Uh, and her hat, her hat looks like uh, uh, Thora Birch in uh, <laughs> Ghost World. Her cowl, sure. <laughs> Get it right. Her cowl that covers her nose. How does she breathe? Mm. There's not even a. <laughs> All right. So, uh, as I don't have strong feelings. Uh, about it other than that I think it looks good um I've had two years to sort of not be overwhelmed by Marvel and DC oh yeah true and I liked it I liked the break. I liked getting a breather from the fact, and this is a fact, that the studios currently, and in the future I know this will change, but currently we're in the we're in the mouth of this giant creature. Right. <clears throat> Two giant creatures. And because it's my job to talk about this stuff. Yeah. The current cinema. I don't often have a lot of choice. Like, I'm not going to watch Morbius. I'm just not. And that's okay. I don't feel like it. Um, And obviously I have the choice to decide when and where I'm going to watch a Marvel film or a DC film. Sure. But I don't have... A pure choice. Like, I do have to be engaged with you in this podcast on these things from time to time. Yeah. Obviously, as anyone who's listened to this show for long enough knows, we go out of our way to dominate the discussion with other films. But we're not too cool when I to talk we, about superheroes at and all. And when I say we go out of our way, I mean it's not anything at all out of my way. Like, I would <laughs> just as soon only talk about uh uh Pana the road ahead or geez. hit the road <laughs> okay okay so next week next week next week next episode um do you live in a big city where the new film it's only in New York this week next week it opens in LA and San Diego oh okay well y'all gear up okay because it is what month is this April? April. I have seen one of my favorite films of the year. Uh, it is called Hit the Road. And it's from uh, Panapanahi. Panapanahi is the son of Jafar Panahi. Yes. And this is his debut feature. It is thrilling. Um, And I've just written a review of it for the rap. Yes. It posted today. Um, 
It opens in New York today. Okay. Next week, Los Angeles and San Diego. And then, I guess. And then beyond. Slowly all around in other. Where Do you have an art house? It'll be at an art house. And it's Kino Lorber, so I suspect it will be on their virtual marquee within a month or two. Eventually. Yeah. Soonish. Yeah. So great. So, yeah, when I say we, we go out of our way to talk about other films besides the, the superhero movies, it's not really going out of our way. It's just... The, we the, make it a point to do it. It's that. the pool I prefer to swim in. Yes. That's fine. I don't think I'm too cool. I, I'd like to dispel some things here. <laughs> I don't think I'm too cool for these movies. I just think that I am not super interested in them other than as entertainments. I know that when... They first started gearing up, you know, uh, Captain America, mm-hmm. Avengers, the next Captain America. They felt like they were about something in the world. They felt like they had a reason to exist. They felt like the manifestation of sort of a post 9-11 desire for uh, order order, and something big to come along and rescue the planet, which seemed chaotic and and out of control. Right. And it still feels chaotic and out of control. Things have only gotten worse. Yes. But these movies don't feel relevant to the moment with me anymore. They feel like they are their own contained little soap opera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm content to watch probably most of them as long as they're as long as I'm not pummeled with one after the other, after the other, after the other. Like, could we not have one a month? It feels like one a month happened before the pandemic, and now it feels like they're gearing up to give us one a month again. I would um... like I would like a chip. Let me miss you. It's like when you go out of <laughs> How town. How can I miss you if you don't go away? If you are out of town for three days, that's the perfect amount of time for you to be out of town because yes. uh, I have a great, uh, peaceful 72 hours of doing nothing and talking to no one and hogging up the entire mattress. And then, you, oh, that's the best part. Um, and then you come home and I'm happy to see you again. I, I, if you're gone four days, then I start to miss you. All right. So two years away from the superhero movies was two days. So I need (laughs) another full year. Well, and and then maybe I'll start to miss them. I don't know. To be fair, um, Mm -hmm. we weren't entirely without them during that time. You know, Wonder Woman 1984. Right, fine. And, uh, you know, Black Widow and Shang-Chi. yeah, there was Black Widow too. Shang-Chi was really good. Eternals. Eternals was good too. Yeah. So, you know, they've been around. I don't. As I've said a million times, I don't hate these films. Yeah. And I don't even feel like I'm being dismissive of them. No. I just feel like, can I get like something other than a giant bowl of fruity pebbles every single day for the rest of my life? Well, sadly, that seems to be all that America wants to show up and buy tickets for these days. So, I mean, seriously, they didn't even want to go see Moonfall or Ambulance. They just want to see Batman. I want to see the moon fall on the ambulance. There you go. There's a movie. <laughs> Eventually, I will watch Ambulance, like, you know. Yeah, on the peacock it, or when whatever. It hits, when it hits my... 
I'm not going to a movie theater for that. Oh, God. No. But, like, I'm gearing up to maybe go see everything everywhere all at once in a the theater. I would. That would be great. If I, if I can time it just right so that I can waltz in after the trailers. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that you're seated for two and a half hours and not three hours. Right. Because two, three, three will, will kill me. But in Dave, a chair. what about Nuvie? What's that? You know that thing at AMC. Oh, with Maria Menounos. <laughs> Forgot about that. I remember. Uh, I remember they did that one before we saw a uh, Dream Dream Horse. I didn't see Dream Horse. Dream Horse. Uh, yeah, Brian and I saw Dream Horse. That was like now. Let me tell you something. That's you a picture. Or no, yeah, Dream Horse. <laughs> That's a movie. <laughs> Got your Tony Collette. Got horse. a horse. <laughs> You're good. Lovable people in Wales. Wrestling picture with Wallace Beard. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, part of my exhaustion is being force-fed too many of these. So are you going to go see the Doctor Strange movie? I don't know. Because apparently it is it is know. like it is a trim Sam Raimi like hundred minutes ish from what I hear. Oh, is it? Uh-huh. See how I feel. Okay. <laughs> I'll I'll be your taster on that one and let you know. Right. That's the other thing. I love sending you off to a press screen. Now that we're back into into the world and, mm-hmm. and going places again. Like I, I, I went to my very first uh nighttime press screening. Solo. Solo, alone, without you, yeah. for the first time in, well, since 2019. Yeah. Um, and you were fine. And everything was fine. Uh, but now that we're back out in the world seeing press screenings again, these these ones that look at, that I look at and give a little side-eye to, like, uh, you again. <laughs> um, you're going first, and you're tasting the poison, and then fine. you can come home and tell me if it's something that I need. Fair enough. Uh, to... Uh, you know, ingest. Do I need to deign to pay attention to it? <laughs> is it worthy? Is it wor- is it worth my time? Uh, hey, we have letters. Do we indeed? We do. It's so exciting. Katie. It's a letter from Katie. Subject line, overthinking Spider-Man. <laughs> I was saving it for this episode. My spouse and I finally caught up. Uh, With Spider-Man No Way Home this week, to be honest, didn't love it. Bottom of my Marvel content ranking for the past year. And it spurred a conversation I'd love your thoughts on. Uh, Is it it my thoughts on ranking movies? No. Because I do have thoughts on ranking movies. Keep going. Okay. (laughs) Basically, it boils down to two points. Number one, is this movie and many other superhero products sending dangerous messages about the ability slash necessity of informed consent for medical and psychological treatment for folks struggling with mental illness. Go on. She, she has a point here. And two, are we at a point where they're crazy <laughs> is a lazy and frankly offensive explanation for villains. Spider-Man movies in particular literally have villains change physical form as a manifestation of their disease, which arguably leans into dehumanizing people with mental illness. We compared that with uh, White Dragon in Peacemaker. Hell, because the whole, hell, hell, basically the whole cast of Peacemaker (laughs) as a portrayal of someone who, while probably a certifiable narcissist and sociopath, is also a bad guy because he is super racist and mean. 
but these portrayals don't give the viewer the same kind of safe distance as Green Goblin or Doc Ock. I guess the final question is, do these movies, seen by literally billions of people, have a responsibility to do better, or do decades of comic book tropes carry the day? Hmm. I told you we overthought it. What do you think? <laughs> well, th that I found that issue interesting in No Way Home in particular because it's not merely a question of, like, overcoming the villain, beating up the villain, killing the villain... They want to fix, fix the villain. That's the they use that word. Yeah, they want to. I'm going to fix them. They want to fix them mentally, and it's like, um, that's we're taking a big chomp out of free will in a movie that's about a guy in a spider costume, right? Uh, and I wasn't entirely sure they quite stuck that landing in terms of taking such an ambitious swing for how to deal with supervillains. Um, but I respected the effort to sort of do something different that wasn't just like, I will pummel you until you, you know, until you surrender. Um, but I think more to the point, it probably is a comic book trope thing. There's no getting away from because that's all those characters, Doc Ock, Green they're Goblin, Electro, Sandman, they're all right. from, they're all from the Spider-Man comics and they right. are all indeed physically transformed in their pursuit of yeah. villainy or whatever. So I don't know how you work around that, particularly in this series with this hero. But yeah, I do think that the movie does ask some questions that this isn't quite prepared to answer. I, I, am, I am answering off the cuff here because I have not once <laughs> invested this much thought into characterizations. Uh, well, let's talk about real life. In real life, when someone does something like demonically evil, mm -hmm. right? They cease to become human in the eyes of many observers. When you destroy another human life and you do so seemingly without remorse. Mm hmm we stop thinking of that person as someone who, you know, was was driven by something. Right. You know, something inside them, some damage that happened to them caused by someone in their past. You know what I mean? Like, sure. and I think that makes it very easy for us to look at superhero villains as the kind of person we want to just give our gut to. Meaning... We don't have to have an uncomfortable question about comic book villains. We don't have to. Ha we don't have to grapple with what that means because they're just evil. they're safely in the realm of fantasy, and they're just evil. And when we have to deal with the person who shot up a, a classroom, right? We have to think about how they got to that point, yeah. and we don't like to do that. Yeah. We don't like to think about. Henry Kissinger. Who made that happen? Yeah. Who, who, were they born with a missing part, you know, in their, in their, in their mind that, that, you know, made them that way from, from are infancy? They the, are, we don't, are they the product of nature or nurture? Yeah. There are so many really difficult questions to ask in real life about this kind of stuff that when we see a movie where, you know, it's outlandish. There's a man with 
mechanical tentacles, uh, man, mechanical tentacles, who's you know yeah. killing everybody. We don't stop and think, well, what made him this way? Yes. You know, um, what was that, his relationship with his mother? Like? On that level, I think that's a bit of a release for audiences, sure, from having to process troubling information. Mm-hmm. We can simply say, "Bad man, kill him." Yes, right. White hat, black hat. Yeah. Uh, but because these are the most popular films in the world now, yes, do they have a responsibility to do better? Now, we got a letter uh, from Shadi mm-hmm. about the Batman right when it came out, and we didn't want to spoil because she talked about the mass shooting. Yeah. Do these films have that responsibility since they reach so many people? Do they need to become more nuanced and take themselves a little out of the realm of the fantastical and into the realm of the real. The Marvel films, specifically the Spider-Man films, when they're when they are in the world of Peter Parker and 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 MJ and and uh, Ned and Ned, they have a very real teenage, like real kids kind of feel to them. And I think there's a doorway when that is in the film. I think there's a doorway into more complex thought if the script is going to be responsible and thoughtful enough to go there. I don't know what the answer is. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't either. But I think these are these are important questions and they're worth asking and I'm glad that Katie asked. You know, because that Batman mass shooting thing, I mean, that really did feel uncomfortable to yeah. me as a viewer because a Batman film has already been the source of one real life deranged person's yeah. you know crime um not that the film is responsible for his you know mental Activities. health and his and his and his murder yeah uh the but but it's in the world sure and when you live in a country that doesn't invest in people's mental health yeah. ever ever we don't invest in people's Broken arms, yeah, much less, health. or their COVID, much less their mental health, yeah. and or make any effort to keep guns out of the hands of right. anybody. And so there's so many things that come along that that complicate and complicate and complicate. And we live in a country where it's everyone for themselves. Yeah. Do you live outside of the United States and have a lot of weird ideas about how cool it would be to live here? You're wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we've been peddling lies to you as a culture for decades and decades and decades. And it's a, it's not a great place. It's better than some places, mm. not as good as others. Well, and the films are part of that mess. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, no, I don't think it's overthinking it. I think you, I think the films could Take a minute and and address life as it is sometimes, rather than the world of the comic book in a hermetically sealed. Right. And you know, and I would argue that the, this film's effort to rehabilitate rather than merely destroy its villains is perhaps a step in the right direction. Is yeah, they're at least trying. I think I want to give them credit for that. I want to turn off my brain now. <laughs> Almost at the end. From thinking about (laughs) the Spider-Mans and all the mans. Yes. 
So many mans. So many mans. John says, I found Cow to be surprisingly engrossing. Hmm. Was sad to hear you were not sold on it. Your reasoning seemed pretty sound. I can't really rebuff any of it. I grew up in the Eden Valley in the north of England, quite literally the opposite end of the country from the farm in the film. However, I was surrounded by farmers of all kinds and spent many hours of my childhood stuck behind herds of cows going to be milked. I hope that this experience might be able to add some context to the film's subject. First thing I would say is that the film's representation of dairy farming is very typical for a UK farm. On this side of the Atlantic, we really do use the intensive feedlots of American agriculture and such as the phrase grass-fed does not appear on British beef. It would be redundant as almost all cows are raised this way. Mm. And I read that sentence, or maybe he wrote that sentence in a way that, in any case, what he's getting at is that the all. way the way that you see happening in the United States where these like factory farms are just like, you know, cramming, punishing the cows the and yeah. feeding them corn all day. It, it happens differently over there. Okay. The question of the cow having a name is a little trickier. In my experience, farmers rarely name livestock. This is mainly down to the quantity of animals involved rather than any risk of attachment. While one cow appears much like any other to the layman, this is not the case if you are working with them. For example, during milking, cows will naturally sort themselves such that they will either enter the stalls in order, typically with the strongest and healthiest at the front and the older and weaker at the back. I suspect that Luma was either named because she was followed for the documentary or alternatively was followed uh, because she was already named. Hmm. Finally, I understand why people might see this as vegan propaganda, but I have to disagree. I think that I think that says more about how distant most people are from the farming community. Had this been filmed in a high-intensity feedlot in the U.S., it would most likely have been much more distressing. <laughs> Hence the uh, the the ag-ag laws in your fair nation, ag-gag yes. laws in your fair nation. At this point, I must re- mention one thing that was missing from the film and that would have had quite an impact. Male calves do not produce milk. They are not well suited as beef cattle, and the market for veal in the UK is small. As such, many of the many of these calves are killed in their first few weeks. Hmm. This is not something that farmers talk about much, and many prefer not to be involved in this at all, leaving it to contractors to do that work. Scientific advances have allowed farmers to massively reduce the number of male calves, and there are moves to outlaw the practice, but to the best of my knowledge, this has not yet happened. I hope you find this information of some small value and might repay uh, the two of you for all the entertainment you've brought me for all these past few years. Take care, John. Thank thank you, you, John. John. Yeah, no, I mean, Andrea Arnold herself said that she did not intend for the film to be vegan propaganda, and I take her her at her word. Uh, Jeremy says, at the risk of becoming Linoleum Knife's Canadian correspondent... There are worse things to be, Jeremy. That's true. I'm sending a quick note about... Aileen. After listening to your discussion about the film, I deeply regret choosing not to see it when it played locally. (laughs) I swear the trailer made it look like a straight biopic with rights issues rather than the surreal phantasmagoria that you described. (laughs) Looking forward to catching it on streaming eventually. Oh, oh, Jeremy. You're in for a treat. Do. We envy you getting to see it for the first time. Here's the best part. Here's the very best part. There's another movie coming. Yes. It's called 
it's all coming, coming back. back to me or it's all coming back or I don't even know what it's called. It's based on the song. It's all coming back to me now. It's got some sort of Hallmark Christmas movie kind of plot where what happens? Uh, it, it's like a woman's husband or boyfriend dies <laughs> and then she sends text messages to his old number and then the dude who has the number now meets up with her. But then! Which, but is, then, which is a total Christmas, Hallmark Christmas plot that happened yes. last year. But then the songs of Celine Dion will be in the film as will give me a drum roll. Celine Dion is going to act in this film yes. as, as a version of herself who will be a mentor to the lovers. <laughs> she is a gift. <laughs> I want her to show up in the movie as Aileen Dior. I want her to be in every movie. I'll tell you, you know what would get my butt into a seat of a Marvel movie? If you could figure out a way to put Celine Dion in it. Mm. As like... A superhero. Invent a superhero. I am here for the Avengers. <laughs> Maybe she could be like the guardian of looting. Because she's always... She just, <laughs> let, she's like, them let them touch, touch those, those things. things. It's All Coming Back to Me is the name of the movie. Right. It is opening yeah. February 10th, 2023. And it is just based, in time for Valentine's. It is a remake of a German movie starring uh, Priyanka Chopra Jonas and Sam Huygen. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, in the meantime, while you're waiting for February of 2023, we have a Patreon. Yep. At patreon.com/slash linoleum knife. So much extra goodies for those who want them, starting as a low as a dollar a month. And moving your way up the scale to get more and more. Oh, hey! Speaking stuff of that dollar us. a month level, <clears throat> yes. Um, one of the other things that happened this week that caused us to be late. Uh, one of the other consequences of all the things that caused us to be late also meant that I did the LKRX uh, uh, post on Monday and then haven't done it since. So I, I. I've got four in the queue okay. that are coming for you uh, to make it up to you because you know you spent your dollar. That's right. And that's what you get for your dollar. You get Linoleum Knife presents more Linoleum Knife and also you get the LKRX. LKRX. We're going to do two more, two episodes of Linoleum Knife presents more Linoleum Knife this, this weekend. weekend. So, um, yeah, it's a good deal, uh, that one dollar. <laughs> but you know even better is four and up you get yeah, you, you get start getting things like LKTV TV, linoleum knife and four food <laughs> monthly club meeting the show nights that's linoleum about nights. whatever we want it to be about yep. this week is the music episode of the month mm -hmm. um, so anyway that's all we're done it's Friday night we sure are it's time uh, to thank um, you for your patience thank you for listening um, hey you should uh, check out my other podcast Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network yeah Breakfast All Day over on YouTube or as a podcast with Christy Lemire uh, and uh, I've been popping into Deck the Hallmark on Mondays uh, to talk about Christmas movies with Bran this week we talk about the 1957 Kate Hepburn Spencer Tracy classic uh, desk set so um I was thrilled to get him to watch that for the first time. So check that one out. And of course, uh, subscribe to this program for free at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. We will read it on the air. You can also leave us positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including Spotify, Stitcher Radio, thelounge.com, 
uh, Castbox, Podbean, Google Play, Amazon Music. Um, you can uh, drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at linoleumcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. Um, he is uh, at bleu.bandcamp.com to catch up with his great stuff. And uh, yeah, we uh, we won't be late next time. Uh, until then. I mean, we think we're not. We're going really. To be we're late. gonna try. Real we're gonna do hard. our best not to be late next time. All right. Until then. Goodbye. <laughs>